Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Paul Perot to find a hey big spender and let's working uh, on plan it. to working tee on that it. up in just a minute. We're going to talk about President Biden's speech last night to a joint session of Congress, although it was really not very many people in the room. Um, the optics were definitely interesting. Um, we're going to talk about that with uh, with Ben Johnson here in just a moment. But I want to talk uh, here briefly at the outset about a terribly sad anniversary that um, virtually everyone missed. So April the 27th was a terribly sad anniversary in the United Kingdom, but it's a terribly sad anniversary for the world. Um, April the 27th marked the 53rd anniversary of the Abortion Act in, uh, in the United Kingdom. So it received royal assent six months earlier in 1967. And since then... 9,675,153 babies have lost their lives due to abortion across England, Wales, and Scotland. That is a rate of death every three minutes. 25 lives ended every hour, every day, for 53 years. And now that abortion access includes um, do-it-yourself at-home chemical abortions, medical medication abortions, Uh, And now that abortion is legalized in Northern Ireland, the rate is expected to accelerate. And so when you hear that Western nations are falling behind replacement rates, when you hear that our fertility rates are not low enough or not high enough to to sustain Western society, a myriad of reasons are given. But Often not included are the absence of millions of people, not just the nearly 10 million people of the United Kingdom who would be alive now, but the generations they would have produced by now. 10 million abortions in the United Kingdom in 53 years doesn't just mean 10 million people. It means the people those people would have produced. Those people would now be parents and grandparents had their lives not been terminated before they were ever allowed to experience the most basic of human rights, the right to life. So in America, uh, it was not 1967 and 1968. It was 1973, and it was not royal assent, but the vote of the United States Supreme Court in a case we all know as Roe v. Wade. And the numbers? Well, we're not talking about 10 million. We're talking about 63 million, more than 63 million abortions have been performed in the United States since Roe v. Wade. The current abortion rate in America, about 3,000 babies every day, 125 every hour, 21 babies every 10 minutes. Want to put that into some sort of understandable visual context? Do you remember the massacre at Sandy Hook? 
abortion is killing the equivalent of that classroom of first graders every 10 minutes, every day, continually in America. Mention of that in President Joe Biden's address last night? No. America faces very real and very urgent crises. There's one on the southern border. There's also one in America's heart. We've got a moral crisis. And I would argue that piling up trillions upon trillions of government programs is not the answer to our ills. God's way is still the right way and still the best way. God and the families God created and the work God gives and the network of loving relationships designed to care for those who cannot honestly care for themselves. We don't need $6 trillion more trillion in government spending. We need revival. Ben Johnson joins me next. We'll be right back. There you go, Paul Perot on the buttons this morning. Ben Johnson, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good to be back, and good morning to you. Why are we playing Hey Big Spender this morning? Well, Joe Biden has got some very big ideas for what to do with your tax dollars. Uh, $6 trillion worth, as a matter of fact, if you add the uh, plans up between his $2 trillion infrastructure plan and his uh, $2 trillion American family, family plan, the American Jobs Act, He's got some very big ideas for what he'd like to do with the money in your wallet. And I think that as Ben and I discussed this, um, we don't want to have you hear us say that we don't care about the education of little kids or we don't care about college education because we care deeply about both of those realities. Please don't hear us care that we don't care about American families. We probably care about American families as God intends them to be um, in, in a in a deeper and wider um, and more significant way than those who would say that the state needs to be the nanny of us all. Um, God, God created a system of relationships called the family. And when you hear uh, President Joe Biden talk about the American family plan, what I want you to do is I want you to compare it to God's plan for the family and ask yourself if um, piling up American government dollars um, will ever fix what's broken in the American family. So, Ben, uh, talk a little bit about Biden's play on words. He calls all of this uh, what we would call spending. He calls it investment. Um, I, I feel like that is not an honest, uh, that's not an honest description of what's going on. No, that's a line that goes back to the Clinton administration, that uh, spending is actually an investment in some something that we're going to get back later on down the line. As you said, the fact that uh, we don't want necessarily government to play this role doesn't mean that we don't want it done. That's a fallacy that goes back a very long way. Uh, the French writer Frederick Bastier wrote about that uh, fallacy a long time ago. As you say, the American family can do things better for itself, by itself, with its own resources, according to God's plan, than to have the government dictate the way that families should raise their children. And uh, what Biden is talking about is the exact opposite of that direction. Let's face it, no law can command what love can accomplish. And so the family is the fundamental unit that God has created upon the earth uh, for the production and uh, reproduction of the human race and 
for education. It has the primary role in child rearing, rightly so. The American Families Plan, $1.8 trillion, has several different uh, components to it. One of them, it basically radically expands the government role in child rearing uh, with what's known as universal pre-K, universal daycare, uh, which is to say that children will begin to be educated in uh, in these facilities. And uh, Biden, in his address, said this is more like school than it is daycare. Well, if you think that the public school should have even more involvement in your children and the way that they look at the world, uh, and they should have that from, say, age three onward, then this is the plan to go for. But uh, let's face it, and, and he was talking about how uh, people who go to daycare have higher levels of graduation. Studies actually do not show that. What studies do show is children who attended child care facilities have higher levels of aggression, hyperactivity, stress, higher cortisol levels, more behavioral issues when they get older, lower impulse control, and poorer physical health. Uh, that's what study after study has shown for decades. Uh, also, multiple polls across multiple decades have shown that ever since women entered the workforce, what they say they want isn't for greater government child care. What they want is for greater flexibility so that they can raise their own children and also participate in the workforce to the extent that they would like. Generally, uh, they would like more flexibility. And this plan uh, does not do that. If you add in the PRO Act, which uh, he's talking about, which could destroy the gig economy, then you're taking away the number one plan that uh, working women say they want for their family. He also has something sort of like an Obamacare plan for child care that would cap the amount that you spend. This is taken directly, uh, directly from Elizabeth Warren. We, we actually discussed that when she was running uh, for, uh, for president on this program. And you can find that uh, the article that I wrote on that talks about two free years of community college. Uh, and of course, anytime the government talks about free, that means you're going to pay for it. We'll all pay for it. And uh, if you think college is expensive now, wait until government gets involved. The number one driver behind college tuition inflation over the years has been the government entering the Pell Grant business. The more money that the government gives, the more that uh, colleges can raise their tuition because the government is sort of eating up the difference. They're funding the difference and, and they're facilitating that tuition raise. They'll, they'll raise it anyway, regardless. But when the government does it, uh, it shows that it actually, in some cases, stimulates tuition increases. So it's a counterproductive plan. It's not good for families and certainly not good for a country that's already $28 trillion in debt. And let me make an observation um, for those who are paying attention to the case brought by the College of the Ozarks um, against the federal government. Um, it, when we tar- When Christian schools start taking government funds, when your church preschool starts taking government funds, when your college, when your Christian college starts taking government funds, everything that the government wants to do um, is attached to that money. Everything that the government directs is attached to that money. The Equality Act is attached to that money. Um, the uh, the agendas of whatever the the ruling um, impulse is in Washington is attached to that money. And so one of my concerns, Ben, is that, you know, when you when you say to people, hey, we're going to make universal preschool and we're going to make, um, you know, two years of college available to everybody, schools and churches that have preschools that resist taking that money, the, the perception of people is going to be that the cost of going to those places is now astronomically high because it's not, quote, unquote, free. And so... Um, but those schools and those churches are not going to take that government money for those programs. I think a lot of them are going to be driven out of business. Like it's such, this is the the impact of this 
um, is is in places and spaces that I think a lot of people are not thinking about. You're right. Anyone who resists this kind of a, a government intrusion into what they're doing and who says we want to preserve Christian uh, ideals and we want to run this according to our own moral beliefs, which have been handed down for generations, uh, it's going to be marginally more expensive to go there. Now, frankly, I don't think it'll be nearly as spiritually damaging or spiritually costly as going to someplace uh, that enacts, for example, the Equality Act, which Joe Biden name-checked in, in his address last night. But uh, it, it's certainly going to uh, be more difficult. You're right. Some of these places are going to go out of business. I suspect that may not be incidental uh, to uh, some of the individuals in the administration. You know, there, there, this uh, Joe Biden, though, he does such a great job of masking the radicalism of it because he has such a grandfatherly demeanor. It was something yeah, that uh, Lyndon... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Lyndon Johnson went for that, and he never quite got it. If, if he could deliver a script the way Joe Biden did, we'd still be in Vietnam. I mean, he, he really does a fantastic job of making this all sound so reasonable. He's very caring. He does grief very well. But, uh, you know, when, when you got into the address, I thought there were a lot of contradictions people didn't highlight. Now, this was billed as an ad joint address uh, to the joint sessions of Congress. Only about 200 people were in attendance. You need 218 members of the House to have a quorum. So this, this was not an, an address to the joint session. Uh, everybody was socially distanced except for the two people that he said were most important there, Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris, who were sitting about two feet apart. And uh, later on, Joe Biden said 12 years of education or schooling is not enough for the American people. Five minutes earlier, he said 75% of the environmental jobs he's going to create don't require an associate's degree. So there were these massive contradictions built into his address that uh, somehow or another just seemed to slip by everybody uh, because he's promising free things. Yeah, which are not free. All right, Ben Johnson and I have to take a very brief, brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to make very brief comments about uh, GOP Senator Tim Scott's response, which was very optimistic and also serious. And then I'm going to ask Ben uh, to comment on one um, federal case uh, out of Connecticut. We'll be right back. This is my right, a right given by God. Continue my conversation with Ben Johnson. You can find him on Twitter at the Rights Writer. Um, ben, um, Tim Scott's response. I thought it was excellent. Um, here is uh, here was his walk off, and I thought it was just great. He said. I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. Original sin is never the end of the story, not in our souls and not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. Hey, if he wants it, um, he has my vote. Uh, I think that a lot of people felt that way. You know, this is uh, his introduction for most Americans. And Tim Scott uh, really hit it out of the park. And you, you're always at a structural disadvantage. The president or whoever whoever is delivering this, the State of the Union has a, an incredible setting. And then the response is one small uh, room and it, it doesn't have the same uh, decorum or anything of the sort. But he really did a phenomenal job. Uh, Joe Biden, as we said in the last segment, is good at grief, but Tim Scott really gave a lot of hope, and he put redemption at the center of it. His address was one of the best sermons I've heard in years. I mean, we're talking about the power of redemption. He talked about how uh, the Christian faith transformed his life, the importance and the power of having a praying mother. Uh, and, and then ultimately, as you said, he talked about redemption. There were moments of this that echoed Abraham Lincoln, and I don't want to overstate this, but Lincoln's first inaugural uh, was very much like something that Tim Scott said. He said, we're not adversaries, we're family. Now, Lincoln's first inaugural 
closed. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave and living heart and hearthstone all over the broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. Tim Scott last night touched the harpsichord of Union and activated those better angels within us. Are you writing this up somewhere? Because that sounds really good. Uh, it, it did, and it just came to me, uh, hopefully, by inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we love it. Um, hey, we, let's, um, if you will, can we touch on this ruling out of Connecticut? A federal judge in Connecticut has dismissed a lawsuit filed by female athletes who were arguing that um, they were deprived of wins and athletic opportunities because they were forced to compete against biological males. We've discussed this uh, a little bit in various uh, uh, previous uh, discussions, but what we're talking about here is something that's very harmful to women's sports in general, to girls, and not only to girls' sports. You know, when people talk about girls' sports, uh, maybe the non-jocks kind of roll their eyes and, and say, so what, uh, you know, you can, you can still play and have a good time even if, even if you don't win. What we're talking about here really is a women's, women's advancement, their ability to win scholarships, their ability to go to college in some cases where they might not get into college otherwise because they couldn't afford it. Young girls in Connecticut have to, trans, have to compete against transgender males, biological males, who are competing against girls. Now, there have been multiple studies done. You know, the, uh, the boys who are competing against them, the biological boys in these races, wouldn't come in anywhere in the money in, uh, if they were competing against fellow males. But since they identified as women, two transgender boys won virtually every female track and field competition in Connecticut. They set multiple records. And uh, every girl who got on the, on the field said, we knew the minute that we stepped into the starting blocks, we were going to lose. Uh, this is a principle that's recognized widely in sports. People should compete against people in their own category. We don't let adults compete against children, no matter how young they may feel. We don't let heavyweights fight flyweights. We have people who are roughly comparable to one another compete against one another. That's the entire principle of having divisions within sports. And having a girls, a females division, a young ladies division, and then, of course, a, a, an adults women's division in college is all part of that. And crossing those boundaries where men have a, a, higher, a higher degree of musculature, they have more muscular mass in their body, they have greater twitch muscles, which gives them a little bit more of a burst when it comes to speed, is unfair fundamentally. U.S. District Judge Robert Chetigny uh, actually threw this out of court. He said that the two had graduated already. Uh, he was appointed to the bench by President Bill Clinton, but uh, he said that since they uh, are no longer competing, then it really doesn't matter what they've done. But believe me, this is something that's going to come up again and again. We have to realize this is not a hate crime. You said in the last segment we have to be very careful that people don't hear people say things that they're not saying. We're not saying anything uh, negative against people who are struggling with gender identity. We love everyone. And for those who are struggling with this, we hold their hands, we walk with them, and do our best to get them to embrace themselves the way that God created them, uh, the way that God created them in their biological realities, male and female, to embrace the gift that God has given them in that right because they'll live happier lives if they can embrace themselves the way that God made them. But when it comes to uh, competition, we have to embrace fundamental fairness. You know, sometime in my lifetime, saying that women deserve their own spaces and their own sports has gone from being a feminist, progressive idea to being a hate crime. It shouldn't be that way. It's still the case that we love and respect one another, 
and we have appropriate boundaries, particularly when it comes to competition for things like who's going to get scholarships and who's going to be able to advance. This hurts women. Um, I don't know that I'll get to it with somebody else. So um, let's tee up maybe for next week a conversation about the free speech case at the Supreme Court featuring a high school cheerleader. Because I expect us to, you know, I don't know, have some high school cheers ready to go. Can we can we rah, rah, that boom, for ne- next time we talk? Yeah. Neither one of us will be able to um, read the Snapchat uh, on air because it's uh, inappropriate language in every environment and certainly for a 14 year old. All right. There we go. Um, again, issues deeper than whether or not it's legal. Uh, we got to have conversations about what's moral and right. Ben Johnson, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. You too. We're going to take a quick break for Knowing God. We'll be right back. All right, we've got a listener in uh, in Connecticut who has texted in, and I don't want to um, uh, I don't want to let the opportunity to to share this concern pass by. Um, this Connecticut listener says, "What do we do about uh, bad legislation?" I live in Connecticut, and yesterday the religious exemption for children's vaccines has been repealed in Connecticut. Okay, that's actually uh, children um, being vaccinated in preparation to attend school. So we're talking about school vaccinations. Um, Being in such an intrusive state is tough. I'm thinking about moving, but my whole life is here. What can I do to push back on the legislation? Okay, so um, this is Carmen, not Ben, responding. Um, First of all, communicate honestly, respectfully, and frequently with the elected representatives in your state, not just on this piece of legislation, but get to know them, offer to pray for them, find out what's going on with them, um, actually attend their their events like you got to I mean, if you want to have influence, then you actually have to uh, know the people who are uh, influencing what's happening in your state uh, on the issue of religious exemptions on vaccines, particularly in Connecticut. Uh, I think it's a really interesting case. There's evidence that people in Connecticut, um, uh, well, are using the religious exemption when they're not actually sincerely religious people. And so you have to ask yourself, um, we've seen this dramatic rise in the number of, of people utilizing religious exemptions for, for vaccinations in schools, but we are not seeing um, a rise in religious involvement of the people of Connecticut. And so, you know, revival is sort of where this conversation starts. Who are these people who feel free to use religious exemptions when they are expressly irreligious people? I, I realize that's not your question, but that's, that's at issue here. So let's pray for revival. Let's find out who these uh, people are who are using the religious exemption. And let's find out um, what kind of sincerely held religious beliefs they actually possess. Um, And then let's engage with them. That's how culture changes. Culture changes when people change. And so let's uh, ask God to be changing people and let's do our part to encourage it as well. All right. Next up, Kathy Branzell. We're going to talk about the National Day of Prayer and we're going to talk about prayerful engagement. We'll be right back. Ever gotten lost on a road trip? It's confusing and frustrating when you take a couple of wrong turns. Everything looks strange and unfamiliar. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I find those feelings of insecurity and confusion are exactly what teens feel when they encounter a world they weren't expecting. The map they have and the things they were trained for don't match up with reality especially as a culture is changing at an unprecedented rate. 
So next time you're frustrated because it feels like your child is going in circles, just remember that sometimes they're not being rebellious. They're lost. Put your arm around him and help him find his way home. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to ParentingTodaysTeens.org. ParentingTodaysTeens.org. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can find the resources we're discussing today at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Lord, pour out your love, life, and liberty. Thursday, May the 6th, 2021 is just a scant week away. Yes. I know. So So let's just talk about what is happening um, in the in the lead up and how people can get engaged. Oh, there are so many incredible things going on across America, and um, would have never even dreamed that there were so many things. And so we have um, thousands of events going on across the nation in cities and states. We, we, I'm grateful to our innovative and creative coordinators. Um, that uh, all the listeners can find uh, different events going on in their city. I'm going to send you to the website a lot today, but if you go to nationaldayofprayer.org and click on events, you can find out what's going on in your state, um, in your city. And if you're one of our coordinators and you haven't posted that event yet, you can do that right there in that same place, clicking on events. Uh, If you want to get involved or if you can't find something, you can go to nationaldayofprayer.org and uh, click on volunteer. And then just below that, click on state coordinator. And you'll see, for example, when you get to uh, Minnesota, that Sharon Aldrich is our incredible state coordinator there in Minnesota. And you can contact her and say, hey, what's going on in whatever your zip code or city is? Or, oh, I'd really like to be part of the team. How do I volunteer? Because we've got things going on literally on air, land, and sea. Um, Next Thursday, we have people praying in golf carts and on bicycles, in boats, um, in cars, in person, in capitals, in parks. Uh, And in airplanes, we've got our praying pilots and praying passengers flying overhead in all our states again. It's really just incredible. And then, of course, I'll share with you what's going on in Washington. But um, we want to make sure people are getting involved in their local event. Because just like that song you, you play every time I'm on, I love it so much. But if you listen to the words, it says, the world starts changing when the church starts praying. And um, we can't complain things uh, better. We can't argue things better. We can't get angry. And that's, hate is not going to bring love. Um, love will bring transformation, the love of Jesus. And that's what we are praying. Lord, pour out your love, life, and liberty on this nation. All right. So if you are in, um, in around, or near 
uh, the Faith Radio Studio because that was a zip code that I knew. So I plugged that zip code in, 55113 in Roseville, Minnesota. And uh, these were the events that came up. Uh, Restoration Covenant Church from 10 to 2. That's in Apple Valley. Minnesota State Capitol. Um, that's the National Pray, uh, Day of Prayer Task Force Observance. Um, that's going to be virtual. It's at 10, it's 10 a.m. Um, National Day of Prayer Service at Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie. Uh, that's at noon. Lakeville National Day of Prayer at Lakeville City Hall. That's also at noon. Um, and at 7 p.m., you can participate in the National Day of Prayer um, service at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Hanover, Minnesota. So lots of opportunities right there. And again, you can just go to nationaldayofprayer.org, click on events. Um, you see there's a home tab, there's an events tab. Um, the events tab takes you then to this list of National Day of Prayer events. You want to click on the bright blue box that says find an event near you. And if you just said to yourself, hey, there's a National Day of Prayer event at my church, um, and I didn't hear it listed, well, maybe that's because the, the, it needs to be posted or edited. So there you go. There's a right. red box to do that as well. Um, yes. Kathy, tell us about what's going to be happening in Washington, D.C., and how people can um, participate virtually in that. Absolutely. Well, um, one of the major things that's happening is that there's just a small group of us that can go to Washington. They are still pretty locked down with different COVID and capital mandates, and we are being respectful of that. But um, our board and staff, we are going to Washington, and uh, early in the morning, uh, we will be at the Congressional Cemetery. And people are like, what are you doing there? Well, we found out, I've been on this long journey with the Native peoples, the, the First Nations people, and no president has ever, ever spoken the words, we're sorry, hmm. to the Native people. There's been a lot of apologies for a lot of things, and we have a lot more apologies to go. We learn from our mistakes, but we've got to remember that when... Um, when we hurt someone, when we act in a way that is unloving, which we certainly did to the First Nations people, we sin against God because Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. And we've sinned against that person. And what God tells us to do is to say, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And the Native people believe that when just biblically, just like we do, that when you confess your sin and you ask for forgiveness, then healing is released. And so uh, uh, was Governor, Senator, Ambassador Sam Brownback wrote an apology in 2009 while he was a senator. It would not pass in Congress. They would not pass it until it was tucked into a defense bill. It was then passed by Congress and signed by the president and stuck in a drawer, and it was never spoken. And we've got to remember, you always have to say, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles 714, when we, you know, my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God says, then I will hear from heaven. Well, you can't hear something that's not said. So we are going to go to the Congressional, uh, um, congressional Cemetery where 36 um, Native Americans are buried who got sick while they were in Washington, D.C. trying to make treaty 
and we're buried there. And Sam Brownback will be there. We've invited the president, but we have not heard back from him. But we're going to say we're sorry. And in almost every one of our states at the Capitol, that same apology will be read. And we're going to say we're sorry. And I'm hoping that we release this um, healing across our land. And we also act as a model for people to reestablish and reconcile relationships that have been torn up people who haven't spoken to each other, families who haven't eaten together, uh, churches or businesses or even neighborhoods that were divided because of our politics or our preferences. And we just go and we say, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're more important than any of that. Will you please forgive me? And that's one thing we'll be doing on the National Day of Prayer praying in other places. We have a full morning of prayer observances. But then that night, everyone can join us. We're going to bring the nation back together just like we did last year. It's so exciting. And at 8 o'clock Eastern time uh, on many of our favorite Christian television networks and radio stations and on the internet at nationaldayofprayer.org and Facebook Live, we will have our two-hour national broadcast again our prayer observance, bringing people to pray all across this nation. So we pray that you will join us at the end of the day. All right, I'm talking with Kathy Brinzel. We're talking about the National Day of Prayer. It's coming up on May the 6th. You can find out all the information and actually watch uh, or participate virtually um, at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy and I will be right back. Continue my conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Um, you can check out everything that is happening at nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, let's talk about mobilizing and promoting prayer. One of the great things that's available at the National Day of Prayer website are equipping articles, and I'm looking at one right now entitled Mobilize and Promote Prayer. Um, let's talk about what people can do to mobilize and promote prayer. Hmm. Well, you know, one of the easiest things is start it in your own family. And, mm. um, you know, let's let's raise up praying children. Let's be praying adults and realizing that your dinner conversation, again, playing the high-low game, you know, what was the best thing about today? What was the worst thing? What was the low point of your day? That even that game could just become a, a, a high, it, oh, let's thank God. Let's praise God for that happening. And your low day, your low point of your day becomes a prayer request. And then it gets into a discussion and your kids start sharing more about what happened at school and they want to pray for their teachers and they want to pray for our pastors. And we want to pray for something that they saw happening, you know, at a store. And so loving that you can mobilize prayer, prayer walking uh, your neighborhood and your, your neighbors are outside, hopefully watering their flowers <laughs> um, or or just outside walking their dog. Introduce yourself. Talk about how you walk your neighborhood and you pray for your neighbors. And just, is there something I can pray for you? Uh, within our church, we are praying that churches will start their uh, weekly prayer meetings again, or at least monthly, uh, if they're not already, that we, we are a praying church. But just get out there wherever we are, wherever you have influence, in your workplace, at your school, and be a praying person. Um, if we could just 
stop ourselves from arguing or uh, just think about what you do mostly during the day, what you talk about mostly during the day, and then ask God to help you pray continually. And so to change the habit of whatever that is, if it's not bringing glory, um, if it's not delighting the heart of the Father, and turn it into a prayer moment. And so lots of ways to mobilize prayer, but get people together and uh, and just reaching out to God and asking him for the transformation that he wants personally for you and corporately for us as a nation. Kathy, sometimes um, people um, pray or invite others into prayer in ways that is partisan. And you have yes. another um, piece posted here uh, at the National Day of Prayer website, nationaldayofprayer.org, biblically correct, not politically correct. Yes. Um, I, I want you to encourage us to love and to ask God to pour out his love and life and liberty in us and through us in ways that are um, biblically, uh, biblically correct, biblically sensitive, and not partisan. Absolutely. Um, I, I, and and hear, hear my heart here. Um, read your Bible. Uh, I have searched and searched and searched for a single scripture where Jesus cursed the government. I mean, he lived in a time of oppression, uh, of, uh, you know, Rome was completely occupying uh, the promised land. I can't find a single scripture where Jesus curses Caesar or the governor. Um, he, he, that's just not what we're called to do. We're called to pray. We're called to love and we're called to share the gospel. Now, um, there have been people who even say, you know, when we've talked about justice, oh, look at you being politically correct. I'm like, uh, no, uh, God's, God says that the foundation of his throne, you know, is justice and righteousness. God talked about justice way before any politician did. And so look to see what God's been talking about. Look to see what's on God's heart and God's heart for us. And that's what we pray and that's what we go do. And it's not a political stance. It's an obedient stance to the creator and the love of our life. Mm. And, um... And we need to be praying for all people. Uh, We get nowhere when we curse the darkness. We're supposed to run into it and be the light, loving light, speak truth with love, pray with love. Um, You do not delight the Father's heart when your prayer turns into a lecture. Um, You know, God's probably like, I don't know who you're talking to right now. Uh, When we turn into a lecture, we get political. But we need to be out there praying for um for everyone there's no exceptions amen um i would like to pray the prayer that you have posted here in this post as uh as a as a close of our conversation today so praying with my sister kathy branzell um offering you national day of prayer resources you can find them at nationaldayofprayer.org lord we thank you again and again for calling us to a beautiful life of love being loved by you and loving others through your love. Lord, we desire to do your will and to glorify you, to delight and bless you alone. We do not act for the applause or the approval of others, 
But because we love you, we seek to obey you. Do not let the enemy steal, kill, or destroy the opportunities we have every day to show the world that we are followers, devoted, obedient followers of Jesus Christ. May the prayers we pray on the National Day of Prayer ignite us to be united in love because we are your servants and citizens of your kingdom. Lord, pour out your love, life, and liberty in us and through us, we pray. Amen. Those are uh, the prayerful words of Kathy Branzell, president of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, as an encouragement to each and all of us. You can find the prayer and lots of other resources and events near you at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, we're praying with you and for you in anticipation of a great National Day of Prayer. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, uh, related to nothing we have talked about thus far, but of personal concern to me today, I broke a tooth. Has anybody ever broken a tooth? This is the first broken tooth um, in my memory. I mean, maybe I broke a tooth before and I don't recall. Like, maybe when you're tiny? I don't know. Anyway, um, I broke a tooth. So now I am going to have to deal with that today. There you go. You know, it is literally always something. So in the it's always something category of life, what's the it's it's always something that you're facing this morning? Uh, some unexpected, you know, frustration, obstacle, challenge, opportunity, blessing. Um, it's always something. And that's because God is, although sovereign and good and glorious, he's also letting us live in the full freedom of not only our will, but the reality of and the consequences of sin and brokenness. And so my broken tooth is a reminder today that all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. It is a reminder to me um, that all things are not yet set as they should be, that that things don't last forever. Good opportunities today to talk about that which does last forever, um, and that would be everything related to the goodness, beauty, and truth of who God is, the transcendental virtues of his uh, his grace and his glory and his kingdom. All right, we have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Your favorite of all uh, of the guests, Peter Kapsner, will be with me at the leadoff of the next hour. And then we've got Chip Ingram sharing his new book in the second half. All right, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, invite somebody else to listen in on the upcoming hour of Mornings with Carmen. And if you want to share the one you just heard, you can do so at My Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.